What's up, everyone? It's the Love, the Jam, the podcast. I'm Chapan, coming to you as always with Rob. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing pretty well and enjoying a Friday night with no NBA basketball, actually. And, and honestly, it, it feels okay at this point. It sucks. This is my day off and I don't have any NBA <laughs> basketball to watch. It, it sucks. We're also here with Lucas. What's up, Lucas? Hey, how's it going? It's good. It's good. How are you? It's good. Uh, you know, I'm here. It's, it's 2 a.m. in New York and I'm on the phone with you guys, so couldn't get any better. Yeah, this is the life. 1 a.m. here in Iowa. <laughs> I, I, live in, I live in Iowa. <laughs> I used to live in New York City. Me and Lucas uh, were both in New York City for a time. Caught game three of the Spurs Clippers series, where the, that game was the worst game of the series, and we watched it together very happily in Applebee's and Queens. Right? Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, that came. No, so- I don't remember any of that. I don't think. <laughs> wasn't that? No, that was the series where they just canceled game three and skipped straight I, to game four. I think game three was canceled. Actually, uh, Kawhi yeah, Leonard game actually three was canceled. That was the Kawhi Leonard game. And it was actually. a TGI Fridays. It was a TGI Fridays, right, in a pretty sketchy area in Queens. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I remember uh, very clearly. And uh, Kawhi Leonard played pretty well that game. We'll probably talk about Kawhi a little bit uh, today because we're, our hopes of landing Kawhi Leonard are kind of going down. I don't know if it's, if it's rational. Rob, I know that your hopes of Kawhi have been dwindling with these wins. Like, what do you – we'll touch on Kawhi super quickly. What do you think about Kawhi coming to the so, first I don't even know if the it final? Has, I don't even know if it has to do with – the recent games are just my natural pessimism taking over. And the more I hear about people wanting to go to the Clippers, the more pessimistic I get. Uh, just, I, I'm just not used to this. And it actually reminds me a little bit of every summer. It's like, oh, the Lakers are going to get a ton of free agents. Like, oh, this free agent wants to go to the Lakers. And then none of them ever do. That's what this is starting to sound like for me with the Clippers. It's like, oh, Kevin Durant is interested in the Clippers. You know, Kawhi Leonard is still... And then, like, every once in a while you hear, like, a Clay Thompson or a Jimmy Butler. And it's just like, eh. <laughs> I mean, I don't we, know. we've never really been a front runner for a free agent ever, I don't think. Maybe maybe Baron Davis uh, for, an, <laughs> for you know? Uh, but that's pretty much it. I can't remember the last time we've been disconnected to a guy so much for so long. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe this is how Laker fans feel, except they think that they're all coming to the Lakers. My Laker fan friends still think why is becoming, becoming a Laker. They do, which is insane. But, like, I mean, I don't know. Like, you, you asked about Kawhi, but I'm just going to say the Kevin Durant stuff feels entirely like a smokescreen. I don't believe um, that. I'm to, not even going to pay attention to Kevin Like, Durant's anti-tampering or just to, because he likes fucking with people. Like, I don't know what, but, like, I just have no belief that he comes to the Clippers. I just, I think he's going to the Knicks. Too many people I've heard who are, you know, again, I'm not super plugged in. Too many people I know and who know other people who are plugged in have said he's going to the Knicks and it's been like, he's going to the Knicks for like nine, 10 months or whatever. I just, I don't think he's going to the Clippers. Lucas, what do you think of all this hype? Well, so, all right. So the hype, I don't, by any of the hype. I do not like the hype. Uh, my official stance on the hype is there is too much smoke and not <laughs> enough fire. It is, still, it is still May. Okay. Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant are both still playing in this season's playoffs. Neither of those guys, like no one in their camp, is leaking anything right now. 
even if they, even if, you know, like, I think the Clippers will get meetings with both of those guys in the first week of July, most likely, you know, they have legit shots of both of them, whatever, whatever. Right. But neither, no one in either of those guys' camps is leaking anything right now. So, because they haven't decided yet, it's not what they're thinking about. So wherever all this stuff is coming from, right. And you know, maybe there's some ideas about where it could be coming from besides Kevin Durant's camp or Kawhi Leonard's camp, but wherever it's coming from, it ain't coming from there. So it's all smoke, no fire. There's, there's nothing for there to be, you know, there's no reason for there to be all this commotion. Um, Now I will say, and I said, I've said this before all of this commotion that's been in the last couple of weeks about the Clippers free agents. I do think that Kawhi Leonard will be a Clipper next year. Um, I think it is more likely than not. Don't, don't say these things. I've said that all along. I know you Um, have. Don't, you can stop. Don't give me hope, Lucas. I also think to Robert's point about Kevin Durant and the Knicks that we've kind of had this narrative about Durant and Irving in New York and similar to what, to what I just said about the Clippers where these guys aren't putting this stuff out this early. Sometimes stuff gets out too early, right? Like Kevin Durant may really have been sitting around last August, last September thinking, man, you know, Kyrie and I with the Knicks and the Madison Square Garden, that would be really cool. But a lot changes over that time. And we know that a lot has changed with Kyrie Irving over that amount of time. I don't think Kyrie Irving is going to the Knicks. I think Kyrie Irving is going to go to the Lakers. And then I think Kevin Durant is not going to want to go to the Knicks necessarily by himself, or at least it's going to throw things into question. So I think with both of these guys, with Kawhi, who probably it's Toronto or the Clippers for Kawhi right now, you would think, or KD, where maybe there's a little more options between you know staying with the Warriors is possible maybe unlikely the Clippers are an option the Knicks are an option Um, I think the Clippers have legit shots at both of those guys or I should say at either of those guys because both might be pretty unlikely that they would each come and play here together seems a little far-fetched they they probably both want to be the number one on whatever team they go to but I think the Clippers have a legit shot at either of them. Do you think the whole Raptors making the finals, winning a title even, has much forebearing on what Kawhi Leonard is thinking? I think it matters. Like, I'm not saying that it doesn't matter, but I don't think it's the only thing that matters. Does that make, so, right, so it's like yeah. there's a lot of different criteria that goes into making a decision like this. And the Raptors being successful versus like if the Raptors had lost in five games in the second round, that would have been a a pretty significant advantage for the Clippers hopes because it makes the basketball situation in Toronto much less appealing to return to compared to the basketball situation that the Clippers already have put together with, you know, their supporting cast in LA, but there's other criteria, right? It's Los Angeles versus Toronto. It's hometown. It's family. It's Steve Ballmer and Doc Rivers, right? So there's a lot of attractive stuff going on with the Clippers that is makes them a you know a really viable destination independent of the Raptors' success. And I think Kawhi, having only been in Toronto for one year, 
LA being his hometown, you know, supposedly, right, there's this whole Uncle Dennis situation. So I don't think that the Raptors winning a championship closes the book on Kawhi, but it might move the needle. Rob, it feels like you definitely feel like these wins are a little bit discouraging. Um, I think to a certain point, kind of like what Luca said, I think once they made this round and once they put up a good fight against the Bucks, I'm not sure how much more um, every game matters. I mean, I think they've established themselves very clearly as, you know, one of the three or four best teams in the NBA. And I think that's all they really needed to do. In actually a very weird sense, if they win a title, I think he might be slightly more likely he leaves because he'd be like, I was in Toronto for a year. We won a championship. I gave you guys a championship, and now I can go play in L.A. I actually think <laughs> I think him winning a title might make him a little bit more likely to leave compared to losing the finals or in this round. But at this point, I really I don't think it matters. I think if there was a big turning point, it was – that shot to beat the Sixers. I think if they lost in the second round, even if it was competitive, it might've made it a little bit more of a Clippers advantage. Once they got to the Eastern Conference Finals, I mean, I think they're doing well, doesn't help, but I don't think it's, it's a, a swing, really. Um, I mean, I think Lowe and Arnovitz, who I wrote, I don't know, at some point, I don't know, I've written too much, um, said, like, I think a week ago, maybe a week ago to the day, that they thought the Kawhi stuff to the Clippers has been treated as a certainty, though not by Clippers fans, really, and that it's not. And they said it was less than 70-30, but that still means it's probably greater than 50-50, or they would have said it was close to 50-50. So it's somewhere in between 50-50 and 70-30. Maybe their success over the past week has shifted that a little. Um, Objectively, I think it's still at least a 50% chance, maybe a little bit higher. so I'm not too down on it. I'm just so pessimistic. I can't actually make myself think he's going to be a Clipper until he is a Clipper. Um, but I think objectively, he's still there's still a, a very good chance he's a, he's a Clipper next year. And if he's a Laker, it would just be horrible. And there hasn't <laughs> been much of that, um, if anything. But like even as much as I just dislike the Lakers, just from my own history and whatnot, like that franchise and that organization does not deserve an ounce of success. Um, like not one shred. So, um, you know, it's possible to get a free agent anyway. Uh, as Lucas said, the Kyrie stuff is all of a sudden gaining steam. I think Jimmy Butler there is gaining steam, uh, which I don't think either of us would be too particularly sad to see him go there. Um, even though with him, they would be really good at least next year and, and the year after. Um, but right now I think, like Lugo said, it's for Kawhi, it's the Clippers or Raptors. And I think the Clippers still have at least a 50% chance. So that's really all you can ask for with a free agent, barring the Lakers and, and LeBron and the ridiculous amount of tampering they must have done last year because mm-hmm. everybody had him as a lock by like February to go to the Lakers, which is just yeah. weird. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I more or less agree with you. I think that we have a great chance, but just like you, I, I am naturally a pessimistic Clipper fan, and I'm not going to assume a good thing will happen to the Clippers until it happens, even with Chris Paul. I remember when I heard that the Pelicans wanted Bledsoe and Gordon, uh, I got so frustrated, and I was like, screw that. You know, We're not going to give up so much for Chris Paul. And I put Chris Paul out of my mind until we actually made the trade. 
And uh, even then, I was like, I'm going to miss Eric Gordon because that's just how I am. I can't have a good thing. So I'm probably not going to believe Kawhi is coming until he comes. But I do believe, you know, we have a good chance and probably as good of a chance as anybody outside of the Raptors. And this whole, like, LeBron is making phone calls to Jimmy Butler and Kawhi. Of course he is. Like, why wouldn't he? You know, his team is a dumpster fire. Of course, he's going to try and make phone calls to people. So, yeah, um, I hope Kawhi comes. I'm going to I'm gonna just kind of put it out of my mind. But I do kind of hope that, you know, they lose this series. It seems less likely, surprisingly. Because a week ago, Rob, we were just talking about how the Bucks were, like, a favorite for the title, not just for the East. Nope. and. And now they look like they're in shambles and Fred Van Fleet is maybe better than Shea Gilgis Alexander. No. <laughs> I think, you know, you, you just mentioned him, but I mean, Giannis hasn't been as good as normal Giannis. But the thing for them is that Eric Bledsoe has just been a catastrophe. Awful. Yeah. Awful. Just like, I just, I hate to see it. <laughs> I'm, I've, I've talked about this before. I've never been super high on Bledsoe. Even when he was a Clipper, I loved watching him but I just never really thought he was a great point guard, but he was so good this year. Like he made me a believer. Um, You know, I had him on an all defense team. I'm happy for him that he made it. I thought he was actually a pretty strong candidate for all NBA. I thought he should have made all-star over Middleton. Like he was really good. And just to watch him like implode in this series has been brutal, but they need him to be better because he's been outplayed every single game by Kyle Lowry and now by Fred Flamfleet, which is not good. Um, Yeah, not good. And I think, I mean, that's, he's a lot of the reason why the Bucks are flailing. Like, he can't stop either of them on, on defense. On offense, he's passing up open threes, and when he takes them, he's bricking them. He's driving into traffic and throwing the ball away. Like, Giannis needs to be better, but he's their second-best player this season. He's been awful. Um, you know, Giannis has still been great on defense, at least. And Yeah, they just, they look like a mess, but I'm not going to rule them out. And, you know, I do like the Raptors if, there wasn't this bidding war for Kawhi. I'd be rooting for them like pretty wholeheartedly. Yeah. But um, that, that would be the most classic Raptors thing ever to lose in game six when they have all the momentum at home and then to lose in game seven because they're, they're Clippers North or East or whatever, and they just collapse in the worst fashion. So I would not rule out the game six loss, even though they have all the momentum right now. I still think it's kind of a toss up. While we're talking about this, what's your take on this Raptors buck series, Lucas? Um, you know, it's, it's really good to see two teams so competitively fighting for the privilege to lose to the Warriors. (laughs) Uh, It's nice, you know, in a, in an era where a lot of teams have been just kind of sinking to the bottom, you know, waiting out the Warriors. It's nice to see two teams really giving it their best and putting a tough series up against each other before they lose to the Warriors in the finals. Uh, you know it's good to see that they have their morale about them after the monopolies that have been going on in the east coast and the west coast it's nice to see this level of basketball such a high level of basketball between two you know star-led teams that it's legitimately been maybe the best series um for quite some time outside of maybe the the rockets and the warriors it's been a really, really fun series. And even the Rockets and the Warriors, the Rockets definitely could have won that series last year, but I never really thought they were going to. Maybe it's just being used to watching the Warriors. I, I really Yeah, I never I never thought yeah. it would happen. Like even when it seems so light. But I will say, you know, to to your point 
about seeing Giannis kind of emerge. And I know he struggled the last couple of games um, or last few games, but you know, I was a little bit disappointed that Portland made the Western conference finals for that same reason, not because, you know, I really have a rooting interest in Denver versus Portland, but because this Portland Lillard McCollum team, you know, obviously Damian Lillard is a very exciting player, but this Portland Lillard era is boring to me. Like we know what, we know what they can do. They're like a a middling playoff team, win a series every couple of years, you know, very hard ceiling above their heads kind of team. And this Denver team, I think in a way that is sort of similar to Milwaukee is really exciting to see a playoffs where like LeBron is not in the playoffs, but like, here's Giannis, here's Jokic, right? Here are these guys who haven't been stars for the last five or 10 years in the NBA playoffs coming in and making huge impacts and winning series and taking teams on deep runs. So of course the Warriors are the Warriors, right? And they're going to be there at the end. Um, and then Kawhi in Toronto, obviously Kawhi already has a finals MVP under his belt. We know what he can do, but like, I think a team like Boston that's built around, you know, like a Kyrie Irving, I know Gordon Hayward was not Gordon Hayward that we're used to, but then like, and Al Horford, like that Boston team, I think it's kind of good for the league right now for that Boston team to have not been the best team in the East this year. Like a lot of people thought they were going to be, I think it's good for the league for like the Harden, Chris Paul Rockets team to kind of fade away. I think it's good for the league for these new stars um, for like Milwaukee and Denver with Giannis and Jokic to kind of have made the impact that they did this season, not just in the regular season, but also in the postseason kind of a new generation I think of superstars like it's very believable that the Bucks with Giannis and the Nuggets with Jokic could each win a championship in the next decade and so kind of seeing those eras begin was pretty cool this year yeah not to mention I don't think the Warriors and Warriors fans really wanted to see Jokic in the Western Conference Finals I think that would have been a more competitive series than this Blazers one was. And yeah, that's a good point. Jokic was great this postseason. I think it's going to be forgotten, especially with the fact that they lost in the second round. But Jokic was really, really fantastic all playoffs. And he's really proven himself to be a superstar in this league, probably a top five player. So it's nice to see him prove himself a little bit more in the playoffs, especially with all the conditioning concerns that he's had in the past and that he can't you know, live up to more physical basketball. I mean, the dude played like 50 plus minutes in, in a game this postseason and, and he looked it <laughs> by the end of that game, but he's, uh, he's played really, really well. And I agree. It's good to see some new blood, especially with all the repetitiveness of seeing LeBron drag a boring Cleveland yeah. team last year. And it's, it's nice it's- seeing these teams make it. Go ahead, Rob. I can't believe there are people who are like, we miss LeBron in the playoffs. It's like, I don't miss him at all. Like, no. LeBron might be the greatest basketball player of all time. He really might be. And he's still really good. I had zero desire to watch him drag that sorry-ass Lakers team into the playoffs and probably win two rounds because he's LeBron James. Just zero desire. Um, you know, even outside of the fact that the teams he would be beating are probably younger and more exciting. 
Like, even if they weren't, I just, I did not want to see it. I did not miss him. Could not agree more on Nuggets and Jokic. That Blazers series, I wrote about this two days ago for Blazers Edge and took a fair amount of hate. Like, this Blazers team was really good. It's probably one of the better ones of this era. They're still basically the same exact team. They got lucky this year. They played a a not good Thunder team in the first round. Like, it's just not even hindsight to say that Thunder team had been bad for like two months going to the playoffs. Paul George was clearly... Yeah, they were the worst team. Like, opening night of the playoffs, that was the worst team in the Western Conference. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Not even close. Like, they were awful. Um, And then you played the Nuggets, too. I think the Nuggets are really good and exciting. But, like, this year, at least, it was Jokic and everybody else. And he was awesome. Nobody else on that team consistently stepped up. And even then, I think the Blazers got lucky. I mean, CJ McCollum had the game of his life in Game 7, and they needed it to win. Um, You know, I think poor decisions will be made in Portland this summer because – they can say, oh, we went to the Western Conference Finals, and oh, like, you know, we played a tight series against the Warriors. Like, the Warriors were trying even less hard against the Blazers than they were against the Clippers. Um, you know, without Kevin Durant, too, even. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Draymond was, like, kind of – and Draymond was good against the Clippers, but Draymond was incredible against um, – I won't say that they weren't – I mean, they were obviously trying. But, like, whenever they thought they needed to win the game, they won the game. Right, that's true. And the Clippers denied them twice. Um, Especially in Game 5. Yeah, in game, they just beat them in Game 5 with Kevin Durant. And the Blazers had 17-point leads in each of the last three games and lost. And that's not a sign that, like, oh, they were actually really good. It's like, no. The Warriors right. were just like, oh, we're going to win this game now. And then they won. <laughs> um, like, that team, I could not agree more. Just... It's not interesting. We've seen like that exact team at least three years in a row. Um, a lot of that team has been around even longer than that. And because of this, like they extended Stotts, which is fine. I think Stotts is a really good coach. They extended Olshay, which much more questionable. They're probably going to bring back most of the same roster, and they're going to probably lose in the first round next year when the West gets better again. Like it's just not a great team. They're, they're very good. You know, they're very competent. Lillard is incredible, but there's nothing exciting or really that fun about that team. To an extent, to an extent, this almost feels like the worst thing that could have happened to the Blazers. Yeah. Absolutely. If they would have lost even to the Nuggets, I think more change might've come, but they're going to run so much back and it's just not going to be good. Even if Nurkic gets healthy, it's just like, I mean, CJ McCollum is just so overrated and watching all of the, Praise got get heaped on him in the playoffs. It's so irritating. Um, like all the Blazers players, like by all accounts, are like super good dudes. Like they seem to have a great camaraderie, but they just like irk me. Um, <laughs> I write about them. Like they're easy to write about, uh, but you know, it's just yeah. I would so much rather have seen the Nuggets, and I don't even think the Nuggets series would have been that much more competitive because Jokic. They would have just put Jokic in pick and rolls with Steph every single time. And yeah, true. Barbecue. Um, but at least it would have been something we haven't already seen twice before. And yeah. this is, you know, actually I think the first series they played, the Blazers won one game and then the Warriors swept. Um, or maybe two. I can't even remember. But this, is it the, the second series they won? The series that they played after they beat us, they won one game, I want to say, yeah, without, without Steph. And then they lost yeah. four. And then, and, next then year, and then Steph like completely destroyed them his first yeah. game back. Yeah, and, yeah, and then uh, they got swept the next year. 
and then they got swept again. They, they've lost their last 12 playoff games to the Warriors. <laughs> Which is, yeah. Um, but, I mean, overall, I, I agree. I mean, I think watching Giannis has been great. Um, Pascal Siakam has been really good for the Raptors. I mean, he hasn't been, you know, awe-inspiring, but he's been really good. Um, just random. I mean, honestly, Kevon Looney has been, like, one of, like, the 15 most impressive playoff players to me. It's, like, yeah. really good. Um, like, a smart team will – actually, I don't know if he was just re-signed by them, but um, he should be getting a fair amount of money because he's really good. Yeah, Kerr called him a foundational piece for the for the That's a little far, but he's yeah. really good. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, the playoffs have been fun. Like, you know, I've missed watching the Clippers. It's been, like, a month since they were eliminated, probably. Um, but we've seen some really good basketball. I'm just upset that I don't think we're going to get, like, any ex-Clippers. Uh, I don't think there are any on the Raptors. And then on the Warriors, it's just Sean Livingston again for, like, the fifth time in a row. Um, yeah. So, you know, the Sixers lost. Eric Bledsoe was, like, self-destructing. And just ex-Clippers, not, not a great playoffs. I, I guess Eric Gordon was good, but, you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Talk about the Rockets and how they fired, like, their entire coaching staff today. Yeah, what happened? I, I, I didn't I, – I've heard a little bit of it on Twitter, but what happened exactly? Who did they fire? I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of their coaching staff, but um, Bizdelic, who's the defensive guy, left. Right, I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of their main development coaches left or was fired today, and then somebody else. Apparently, it was just a lot. Um, and then the real thing is now people are trying to see whether it's Fertitta being cheap or just not liking losing to the Warriors twice, or whether it's Maury um, trying to take control of the team because the rumors that he doesn't necessarily like D'Antoni ball – and all this other stuff. But anyway, a Rockets implosion might happen, and that would be pretty awesome. Um, no, I, I like Chris Paul and Austin Rivers, but I would be perfectly happy to see that team be not very good again next year. So, Yeah, I, I'm fine with that. And I think, I don't know. I don't know how good Chris Paul. Maybe that's going to be the last great playoff game Chris Paul ever has. Uh, that's really great. I mean, he was really good. In that in that game six, unfortunately not at the end of the game, but he played really well. And then uh, the Rockets Rockets, so that's what happens. So uh, we can talk a little bit about maybe these All NBA rookie teams and uh, defensive teams since we have some investment in it. We can talk about a little bit about the All All uh, All Rookie Team, which to no surprise, Shea Gilgis Alexander and Landry Shamet both made All Rookie Teams. But Shea um, made the second team. Now, we talked about this a little bit, Rob, before, about where we expected Shea to be, where he deserved to be, and uh, where he ended up being. He, was, he received a total of 138 points. Bagley, who, is the, uh, who received 156, edged him out. I, I can't say that I'm terribly surprised that Shea didn't make the, all, the rookie first team, but um, it still kind of sucks. Lucas, what did you think about the voting? I mean, Luca, Trey... Aiton, Jaron Jackson Jr., Marvin Bagley, those are your first teamers. Uh, Shea, Sexton, Shamit, Robinson, and Huerter were the second teamers. What did you think about the about Shea not making first team? I mean, is it really that big of a deal? Is it just motivational for Shea? Um, yeah, go ahead, Lucas. Well, I mean, the answer to the question, is it that big of a deal, is no. Um, it could not be a littler deal, really. Like, it, it doesn't really matter at all. Um, but, you know, I mean, what, was, what would my opinion be is 
I would have put Shea not just above Bagley, but I think also above Jaron Jackson Jr. When you consider, you know, the, the games that he played versus the games that those guys missed and the success that he had as a, as a starter on an overachieving team that made the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I don't think you can totally write that off. I think that if this was – if people approached the all-rookie teams with the same mindset that they approached the all-NBA teams, he would have made the first team because with all-NBA teams, people care about rewarding winning. The all-rookie teams, uh, you know, the nature of the lottery being what it is, it's sort of expected that the best rookies will be on bad teams. And if you look at the 10 guys who made – the all-rookie first and second teams this year, I'm pretty sure those two Clippers were the only two yep. who made the playoffs. The, the other eight guys were all on lottery teams. Yeah. So it's not surprising to me that a guy like Bagley can play for a much worse team but have a lot kind of more touches and free reign. And, um, you know, I mean, Shea had a big role for the Clippers. He was a big contributor. But there's a lot more that you have to kind of refine your role when you're on a winning team versus when you're on a team that's bad and you're the second overall pick. And so almost the entire point of the team is to get you reps. The point of the Clippers this year was not to get Shea reps. Shea was good enough to play anyway. Um, so I think, you know, I think I understand that, um, you know, Luca and Trey and Aiton were all going to be there. You know, I think, and I, I think the voting reflected this that those those guys were pretty much cemented. And then Jaron Jackson, Marvin Bagley, and Shea were all a little bit closer. I think that Shea will probably end up being better than Trey Young over the course of their careers. But again, rookies winning isn't expected. Counting stats. You know, Trey Young had bigger counting stats. I knew he was going to be on the All-NBA first team. Um, but, yeah, I mean, does this matter? It doesn't really matter. I think it's great that Landry Shamit was able to make the second team. Uh, I expected him to be on the second team. I expected Shea to be on the second team, too, so I'm not surprised. But I think that Shea probably was deserving of a first-team spot. Yeah, Rob, what do you think about this? Uh, I agree with Lucas in that I don't think it matters, like, at all. Um I actually did think Shea would make it just because I don't particularly care about being on a winning team or a playoff team because I think that kind of stuff is overrated. Um, like, you know, for example, for the All-NBA, and we'll talk about that later, like Kemba got votes over Bradley Beal, who I think kind of objectively was better this year um, because he was on, like, a better team. But, like, the Hornets were still bad and didn't make the playoffs. But, like, that was kind of this narrative for Walker – um, which doesn't make much sense. And then for the Clippers, like, you know, I think Shea should have won it, you know, first team, just because I think he was better than Bagley and um, played more minutes and more games than Bagley. I think he was just better and had more of an impact on his team, winning season or not. Um, you know, is it impressive that he did it for a team that did make the playoffs? Sure. Um, but that doesn't matter that much to me. I think it should just be like the five best rookies. And I think Shea was one of the five best rookies. Um, so I thought he should have made it over Bagley. I actually would have put Jaron over Shea just because Jaron's best games were so good that I think he just had to be on the first team all rookie. Like his peak play this year 
was better than anybody else's, even Luca's. Um, you know, in his games when he scored like 27 or 30 points and had double-digit rebounds, had like, you know, I think he had a game with like seven threes and five blocks or something. Like, that's just insane. Um, like, I think there's a, a decent chance he's the best player from this draft, and I think he had to be on the first team. But Marvin Bagley, like, again, nice player, will probably have a very nice career. Um, I just don't think he's better than Shea, and I don't think he has a brighter future than Shea, so... I was a little disappointed by that, but again, this really doesn't mean anything. And, you know, I don't think, I mean, the rookies definitely care, but it's not like a huge deal to them. Um, And yeah, I was happy to see Shamit made it. I thought he would, um, but I was still happy to see it. And honestly, I thought the voting in terms of like the 10 rookies that made it, I probably would have put my Cal Bridges over Colin Sexton. Yeah. That's that's like a very small thing. And honestly, Sexton was at least good offensively the second half of the year. I mean, he's still like, maybe the worst defensive player in the NBA and can't pass to save his life. But like he scored at a pretty efficient level for several months as a rookie on a team with no talent, which is, you know, impressive. Um, so ultimately I was fine with the teams, like a bit disappointed about Shea. Um, but. Well, I was, yeah, I was just going to say, it's funny that you mentioned that about Jaron Jackson um, with regards to potentially being the best player from this class, because yeah, I didn't want to ramble for too long, but when I what I was thinking when I said that I think Shea will be better over the course of his career than Trey Young is I actually I think Shea will probably end up like at the end of the day you're going to have said we would have rather had 15 years of Shea than 15 years of DeAndre Ayton just because positionally of what a center can bring you versus what a 6-7 point guard can bring you. But I don't necessarily think that just because Shea is better than Young and Aiton means he'll be the second best rookie from this class because even though Jaron Jackson is a guy who I think Shea should have gotten more votes than this season, I think probably Luca and Jaron Jackson are kind of 1A and 1B for this class, and then Shea is maybe number three. Um, if I'm looking at from what I thought going into the draft to what I saw this year, how I'm viewing these guys going forward, I think Shea is probably number three in this class for me behind Jackson and Luca. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know. I think Trey is going to be really good. I don't know how good Trey is going to be, but Jaron Jackson Jr. I'm really high on. I think he's going to be a beast, uh, like an all NBA uh, future second team, first team kind of guy. I think he's going to be really good, but you know, there is some, um, I also think that he deserved first team, I would probably put Shea in there over Bagley, uh, but Jaron Jackson Jr., even with his games missed, I think he did also, like like Rob kind of mentioned, had higher highs than virtually any other rookie um, in the draft. So I think he's going to be super good. And probably, yeah, like a 1B to Luka's 1A. Uh, I, I hope Shea will be, you know, as good or better than Trey, but – We'll see. I think Trey is going to be offensively just kind of a savant, but how bad he'll be on defense his whole career is yet to be seen. I agree with you guys. It's really not that big of a deal. It would have been nice for Shea, um, but I don't think he cares too much. He's going to work just as hard this offseason. Uh, somebody I do know cared that cared more about the All-NBA <laughs> that we're probably going to talk about a little bit through this podcast is Patrick Beverly, um, who was snubbed for All-NBA defense, um, got the second most votes, out of everybody who missed the team, him and Danny Green missed the team and got a substantial amount of votes, um, but didn't make uh, the first or second teams. I think actually 
Pat even had more votes than Kawhi Leonard did, but he, he plays did. the guard position, yeah, so he didn't he didn't make the make the cut. So Pat Beverly not making second team. Uh, the guards that made it: um, Marcus Smart, Eric Bledsoe, first team; Drew Holiday, Clay Thompson, second team. Pretty good defenders. Uh, do you guys think that Pat deserved it over any of those guys? We can start with you, Rob. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I actually, when I did my fake ballot, I didn't have Pat Beverly. Um, but I think he did deserve it over Clay Thompson, who was overrated defensively. He's he's kind of like a super Avery Bradley. I mean, he's far more useful because he's bigger. Um, but he's similar <laughs> in that he's just great in this is This is by far the biggest compliment we've ever given to Avery Bradley uh, <laughs> on this podcast, by the way. Uh, he's great at stopping his man, which Avery Bradley couldn't even do. Uh, but <laughs> but there, there it went. Uh, <laughs> they play defense similarly in that they don't really provide anything in terms of help or team defense, whereas Pat Beverly is a great help defender and kind of quarterback the Clippers' defense. He meant a lot more to his defense than Clay meant to the Warriors. Like, the Warriors' defense wasn't even that good in the regular season, mostly because they didn't try very hard. But, like, it still counts. And he's the third best defender on his own team. Um, You know, I'd say Draymond is way better than him. And I'd say even – I'd probably rather have Iggy just because, again, like, help defense matters. Clay is better in one-on-one. But I think – And Durant, I think. Yeah, honestly, maybe even man-to-man. I mean, Iggy is still freakishly good defensively considering his age. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would have voted him over clay, but honestly, I think green Danny green was probably better than him. Anyway, I personally would have had Derek white over him and as well. Um, I think he was right on the fringe. Um, the only guy who I thought absolutely had to make it was Marcus smart and he did. Um, but I don't know if it's really a snub because there were other guys I thought that were right there, but Clay just got undeserved recognition, and that just irritates me. So. What do you think about Kawhi making it? Did Kawhi deserve an all? Deserve it either. Deserved? Pascal yeah. deserved it more than he did. That's, that's kind of also how I felt. That was my probably my other gripe. Uh, what do you think, Lucas, about this this voting and Pat not making it? Well, so of all of the possible accolades that you can get in the NBA, from All Star to the individual awards to the teams. The all-defense teams, I think I, – I don't think this is a controversial statement to say that the all-defense team is the least meritocracy of any of them. It is the most by name and reputation and has the least to do with how actually good at this thing these people were this year. Yep. Like, the, generally, the voters do a much better job of picking – the 15 best players in the NBA for the all NBA teams than they do of picking the 10 best defenders in the NBA for the all defense teams. Like even the fan all-star votes probably are better than the media all defensive votes. Uh, these are just, they're never right. They never ever get it right. Um, so it's hard to be too upset about it in that way, just because the expectations going in are, are so low, if that makes sense. Um, for me, a couple things, like, like I, I love Patrick Beverly very dearly, um, and I have been a huge Patrick Beverly fan since before he came to the Clippers, and I spent a significant amount of time, even when the Clippers had Chris Paul, trying to figure out different possible trades with Houston that could land Patrick Beverly as the Clippers, like, 
third guard backing up both Paul and Redick. Like, imagine, like, CP, you know, the Clippers used uh, Paul against Kevin Durant in the playoffs against Oklahoma City, even though he was so undersized, um, because he wanted the assignment in the same way that Patrick Beverly wanted it this season. Imagine having those guys in a backcourt together defensively. It would just, like, yeah. drive people insane. They might have killed each other if they were in the locker room together. Right. But that would have been – it would have been something to see. Um, but if if there are a couple of things that I can kind of calm myself with for Beverly not being named to the all-defensive teams, the first is that he was only a starter for about half of the year, and he only played 27 minutes a night. A lot of these other guys were playing bigger minutes throughout the season. Uh, they just had more minutes played over the course of 82 games than Patrick Beverly did. Another thing is that Patrick Beverly, for a good portion of the early part of the season, was not Pat Beverly, um, and understandably so as he was yeah. coming back from that microfracture knee surgery. But it wasn't really until I, – I don't know the date off the top of my head, so I, I'm not going to guess, but there was some point around midseason, maybe even past midseason, where all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay – He's back. The Spurs, he's like the in Spurs the, game, maybe. I think he the, that was one of the big turning points. It was at San Antonio. I feel like he had a great game, and then he just kind of got rolling. But anyways, keep going. Yeah, I mean, so there, there's some point in there, and I think, you know, the month-by-month month splits probably back this up. There's some point where he went from being, like, kind of struggling, but – rotation caliber filling his minutes doing fine to being the Patrick Beverly that is now coming to mind when we think of how he played down the stretch of the season and into the playoffs like sort of doing a little bit of everything from okay well now I'm going to be the pick and roll ball handler and get an assist okay now I'm going to be the spot up shooter now I'm going to be crashing a glass and leading the team in rebounds now I'm going to be guarding the other team's best player who's 10 inches taller than me you know, all of these things that, that he was doing in the latter part of the season that I don't think were quite there over the course of 82 games because he had a little bit of a, you know, he needed to get back up to speed coming off of that knee injury. So I think that plus the minutes, yeah, it makes me okay with him not making it. And I think, you know, another thing to consider that if we're going to talk about Gallinari in a minute too, that, that we'll consider there as well is, you know, the, it, it's totally arbitrary that there are three all-NBA teams and two all-defensive teams. There's no, like, real reason that there should be should or shouldn't be more or less. Patrick Beverly basically was named to the all-defensive third team this year. And if we look at it that way, we say Patrick Beverly is one of the six best guard defenders in the NBA. Great. You know, that's great, especially with where he was coming from, coming off of knee surgery. So, you know, would I like for Patrick Beverly to have made it? Yeah, I agree with Robert about Clay that, you know, if anything, if Patrick had not made it, but Danny Green had been in Clay's spot, I would have been like a little more okay with it than with Clay, Clay being there. But I'm still kind of okay with it, I think. I, I, can, I can rationalize it. He still got a lot of votes, which means that he was getting – some respect and recognition. Um, and I'm, I'm cool with it, I think. 
Yeah, I think the outrage about Pat, there is some recency bias with that because Pat has been great. Uh, in the playoffs, he was fantastic. He was really, really aggressive, even though he was, you know, not guarding Durant as much to end the, the series against the Warriors. He was still a very awesome team defender and he did a great job there and he was good to end the season. So I think there was some recency bias. I'm okay with Pat not making it. It, you know, obviously it would have been cool for him to make it, but I don't particularly think he needed to make it this year because I agree with Lucas. Like, I don't think he was an all-world defender all season long. And um, I thought that he was great. And the, the second half of the season or so, he was great. Probably would have made it if that was spread over the whole course of the season. Um, if he comes back, if he comes back next year in a similar role, like. He won't start probably next year, which, which will hurt him. But if he comes back next year in a similar role and does what he did in like the last two months of the season over a full season, it'll be him and Marcus Smart on the first team next year, I think. Yeah, and maybe, and maybe James Harden, who got, uh, who got four points. <laughs> 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 you know, maybe James Harden will make the All-NBA first team next year like he deserves those, to. Those those people must have just not like, especially because all like he got four points, but he got four points from two people putting him on the first team ballot, right? Because you get two points for being on the first team and yeah. one point for being on the second team. So I think I honest like two people out of the like 100 people who vote for All NBA, two people opened their ballots and just literally read it wrong and thought they were marking for All-NBA first team when they put him for All-Defensive first team. That's the only way that that could have happened. But he's a great post defender. And he gets lots of steals and deflections. Lots of steals. Yeah. Uh, no, I think it was well, – Lucas is probably right about the confusion, though. It wouldn't surprise me if it was just Houston area people. Because, um, I mean, that's the other thing about this is, like, so many of these people are still, like, broadcasters and radio types who some of them – you know, take it very seriously and do the research. And a lot of them just go straight off just homerism or, you know, I like this guy or, you know, this guy's been a dick to me and just, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dame, Dame, Dame Lillard got a vote too, which is also yeah. beyond me. And like, honestly, this year I think is better than most years. Like I think yeah, Clay shouldn't have made it, but like, it's not like a, a, an atrocious choice and like Kawhi shouldn't have made it either, but like, whatever um honestly Kawhi probably is a little more egregious because he didn't play that much and kind of coasted for a lot of the year um but it's better than when Kobe made like 10 in a row yeah that was really that was really bad and Kawhi at least got the least amount of votes from anybody that made it yeah it's it's not outrageous I mean it's just like you know I don't think he should have made it there were like three or four guards I would have put over him but like he's at least a good defender um and yeah. Kawhi is obviously, as we've seen in the playoffs, still a great defender when he tries. Um, so it's not the worst, but um, yeah, I don't think I have too much else to say about all defense. I don't think there's really much for us to touch on the all NBA for uh, teams. It's nice that Gallo and Luke got a little bit of recognition, got votes, but they clearly both weren't all NBA first, second, or third teamers. But it was nice that they got a little bit of love. Gallo probably more so than then Lou could have maybe made it to the third team with some um, convincing on some of those voters. But uh, it was nice to see them get even just a little bit of love. Um, But I don't really think we need to touch on that too much. Anything you guys want to say, Lucas, uh, about the All-NBA votes? Nah. (laughs) 
I mean, the, so the same thing that I said, right, where there's no reason why there's two all-NBA teams or three all-NBA teams and two all-defense teams. It's just kind of that's the way that it's done. So if there were four all-NBA teams, Gallinari, you know, obviously, like, there's only a, the vote disparity here between the six guys who made it at forward and the others receiving votes is very, very large. Like the number six forward Blake or LeBron was the number six forward with 111 points. And LaMarcus Aldridge was the number seven with 17. So like really big gap there between the guys who made it and the guys who didn't. But if there were four teams, like Gallo probably does make the all NBA fourth team as the, eighth best forward in the league. And if you had told me two years ago when the Clippers first signed him that Gallinari would be like all NBA fourth team material during his Clippers tenure, that would have been like best case scenario. And if you had told me one year ago after Gallinari barely played like 20 games last season and wasn't even very good in those 20 games, that he would be all NBA fourth team material this year, I would have been ecstatic. So I think that this is like, as much as people are saying, Oh, well, it would have been nice if he'd made the team. Like the actual team is so arbitrary, whether it's, you know, third or fourth, like wherever you draw that line between the sixth best forward in the NBA and the seventh is super arbitrary. But for him to have been in this conversation, I think is something, you know, for him to be super proud of and for Clippers, you know, organization and community and fan base to just be, ecstatic about yeah i'm glad gallo finished that warrior season off really really strong after having a pretty bad first few games because he had a great 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 season and should be super proud i mean aside from money um which is actually can be important for these all nba teams it really is fairly arbitrary uh rob anything about gallo i mean this really can just be about gallo's season and uh no i mean gallo was great i personally in my ballot had him over LeBron, just because I think LeBron's nefariousness uh, in regards to the trades and just how he kind of, whether he wanted to or not, kind of sabotaged their season. I mean, I don't know if they would have been great anyway, but like it's certainly all the trade rumors and the Anthony Davis stuff certainly took a toll. Um, there were definitely stretches when he just wasn't trying, not even on defense this year. Like There were times when he wasn't trying that hard on offense either. And the fact that he still put up like 28, eight and eight is just a sign of how ridiculously good he is at basketball. Um, I don't necessarily think his season deserved to be rewarded, but there's no, he was a better player than Gallinari this year. <laughs> like, I love Gallinari. He was awesome. Um, you know, definitely like the seventh or eighth best forward in the NBA. I, Lucas and I were talking about this. I would have taken him over LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, like he probably was the seventh best forward in basketball this year, which is nuts. Siakam is also up there. Um, but like he wasn't better than LeBron James. Like I personally would have left him off just because LeBron, nothing about this Lakers season deserved to be rewarded with anything. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. I'm honestly, the fact that he even got seven votes, like he got a second team and four third team. Like, honestly, that's more than I was expecting. I was half expecting yeah. him to get zero. Um and Lou got like one third team. It was probably just some, I don't even know who voted, but it was probably some local LA guy voted him um, or some Atlanta person, somebody who's like tight with Lou. Um, I just, the only thing I really have to take away is what you briefly mentioned, which is the fact that one, that these are tied to not just monetary incentives, but like 
massive like life and career and franchise altering contract decisions um, being tied to all NBA, which is again, arbitrary. And those in turn being controlled by the media is completely ludicrous. Um, Mm -hmm. Like the fact that Beal and Clay, even though he didn't deserve to make all NBA, like whatever him, Clay and Carl Anthony Towns, I think were the major guys. None of them made all NBA and they all lost out on like 30 or $40 million or however much it is because a bunch of media members didn't vote them for like a completely arbitrary award is just absurd. It's just absurd. Um, and I don't know necessarily know what the solution is, uh, whether it's a smaller, you know, voting circle, whether it's just not tying contracts to all NBA instead of tying them to like much bigger stuff, like, you know, MVP, or I guess the better one would just be like, instead of any all NBA team, it has to be all NBA first team, like there has to be something out there, but the fact that these guys are just like losing tons of money because of this award is is just awful. And like, there's no chance. Like, there's very little chance I will ever have a vote. But even if I was ever given the chance, I don't think I'd want one because I would feel awful about it. Um, you know, and it it clouds your judgment. Like, you know, I think another reason Kemba might have gotten votes. I mean, Beal was in the same exact situation is that people know he's a free agent. He's been underpaid for four years. He signed like a really team friendly deal and he's up for a super, uh, you know, now he's up for Supermax this summer. And, you know, I think people might've just been like Kemba's by all accounts, an extremely awesome person. He's been stuck with like a shitty franchise, like all these horrible contracts. He's been underpaid. People wanted to reward him. And like, you know, he was really good this year. And I think, you know, he was a fine selection for all NBA third team. Like, I don't think anybody's like really bitching about it. I don't think he was the best option. I don't think he was really even, you know, one of the three best options. I don't think Rush should have made it either, but you know, whole other story, but like the monetary stuff is just ridiculous and it needs to stop. So that's my main takeaway from all NBA. Yeah. Um, I agree. I mean, I think we can go to Twitter questions. There's a lot to talk about the cap. Um, we might touch on it a little bit on if anybody on Twitter asked about it, but, I think we're going to do a pod later on, maybe in a week or two, uh, just kind of talking about the cap situation. We'll also have an idea about, I guess, if Kawhi goes to the finals or wins the title. Uh, so we can maybe think about to have that in a little bit more perspective. But we'll probably talk a lot about the cap uh, well before the draft happens. Um, yeah, do we have many Twitter questions even? We have one. Okay. That I can see. <laughs> and it's from my dad, I think. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, uh, yes, the best are Flom. Yeah, really. I just, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry he ever got on Twitter because now I'm just like not even the best Flom on Twitter. It's like a very low distinction. Um, I, it's not even a I – mean, maybe I'm just misreading it. I don't know. It just says clips caps. No, it's not a question. Depending on which guys they make qualifying offers to, just like I guess like what is the cap space situation depending on – I'm guessing with if qualified offers like guys who are free agents or, you know, like Zubots, like what that kind of, you know, what happens if they make like an offer to Zubots with the qualifying offer or like try to resign their own free agents. I'm guessing that's what that means. Um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I don't think Zubots, I don't think extending a qualifying offer to Zubots really does much of anything with their, I mean, it's obviously money but I don't think extending his qualifying offer would have a real impact on their free agency this summer. Uh, but I, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I guess I, I can 
do this, I guess. Um, so, so qualifying offer, <laughs> um, if, if this is what the question is intending to ask about, because the term qualifying offer is a really actually specific term for restricted free agency. And so what happens is when a player is eligible for restricted free agency, so they're coming off of their rookie contract um, or they have less than three years of NBA experience. So if you're eligible for restricted free agency, you have what's called a qualifying offer, either a percentage of your previous salary or it's built into your rookie scale. And if your team extends that qualifying offer, it's a one-year contract for that amount. And that offer being on the table is what allows the team to have the right of first refusal, meaning that if Zubots goes and signs, say, a three-year $15 million deal with whatever random team, if the Clippers match three years $15 million, Zubots stays with them. He doesn't even have the choice to go to that other team. So the qualifying offer is that one-year contract that the team puts on the table to preserve their right to exercise that first refusal. Now, the Clippers have two guys who are in this situation this year um, in a meaningful way, which is Zubat and then Rodney McGruder, who is not a guy who we've really talked a lot about, who the Clippers claimed off of waivers at the very end of the season. Um, McGruder's a little bit older, but because he hasn't been in the NBA for very long, he's still eligible for restricted free agency. Now, both of these guys have qualifying offers of just under $2 million. So the answer to the question, what does this qualifying offer do to the Clippers cap space is really almost nothing because it's about a million dollar difference between an empty roster hold and the qualifying offer that the Clippers will have out on the table for these guys. So I think the Clippers are going to extend both qualifying offers um, and it's not really going to eat into their cap space. And then what happens is, you can extend these qualifying offers. All right, we're going to go sign whoever with the cap space. And now we can come back. The qualifying offer um, in the case of Zubats will also give the Clippers bird rights to, um, and I think they also will have Magruder's bird rights. because I think he was in Miami for three years before yeah, bird rights transfer via trade. Yeah. So, so they, the Clippers have bird rights on both those guys. So what they can do is extend those qualifying offers to kind of just put placeholders out on those guys for less than two million each, um, which is really, really cheap for you know your starting center and a really probably major rotation piece as, as a backup forward next year. Um, under two million dollar placeholder for each of those two guys. Go do whatever you want to do with your cap space, and then you can come back and either match any free agent contract that they have signed with another team and exceed the cap to do that, or you can just negotiate with them using bird rights to get them on a, you know, on a longer term deal. But um, so the, the answer of if those qualifying offers are going to affect the Clippers cap space um, or affect, you know, their, their high profile free agency plans, uh, it, they aren't going to. And that's part of the reason I think why the Clippers made these moves um, that the trade for Zubats and the waiver claim on McGruder is because they know how advantageous these low qualifying offers are 
in a summer when you're trying to maximize your cap space and then you can deal with these guys with low cap holds later. Yeah, that's pretty much a good answer. I think the Magruder pickup, everybody uh, was just kind of excited for, not because of the season, but for the for what Lucas just said, uh, keeping him at a low cap, uh, uh, like a low qualifying offer and being able to keep him over. We're going to talk a lot about free agency stuff, but, you know, I, I mean, it goes without saying, I think Kawhi will be eligible for like $32 million for his for his uh, max offer. And maybe 32? how much is Kawhi's no, max more than that and oh, is yeah. Durant, max is probably over 40 is he's over 40 are they both over 40 durant and Kawhi. wait Kawhi? no Kawhi. They, Kawhi's, no. is Kawhi's... Oh, no, it's the clippers because he's a new team yeah it would be right right yeah i think Kawhi's Kawhi's is going to be like somewhere in the 32 range yeah i think and right. durant's will be somewhere in the 37 range I've, yeah you know it it shifts because these maximum contracts are set as a percentage of the salary cap and the salary cap is based on the league's revenue, which we don't know what the league's revenue is yet because a big chunk of their revenue comes from like how many people watch TV during the playoffs. Right. Um, And how many people watch the draft and things like that. So it actually, the reason why the NBA has that moratorium in the first week of July is because when the, league year ends on June 30th, that's when they actually have all of the data Mm. to run their audit, figure out how much their revenue was for the year before and officially set the cap at some point during that first week of July. So all of these, you know, these are our estimates, but the league is able to project normally within about $1 million, what the cap is going to be. Um, So it's going to be somewhere in the like, 32 to 32 and a half range probably for Kawhi and somewhere in the 37 to 38 range for Durant. We just won't know exactly um, what it is until the cap is finalized in July. Yeah. So for Kawhi, it would be a four year, $140 million deal. So that's 34, I think, or 35. Yeah. I I don't know if that's exactly right, but it's something. Yeah. But that, so that number, that number, includes annual raises. So yeah. what really matters is the starting salary number that's tied into the percentage of the cap Which for this summer. Yeah. Yeah. So so we're gonna dive into this more, but I think a simplistic way to look at it is kind of like what Lucas said. Maybe if you're thinking Kawhi is like thirty three or so million a year and Durant is maybe thirty eight or so million a year. And the Clippers I think have maybe sixty million free or, or about about that range so that that kind of gives you an idea you know a lot of a lot of outlets are saying oh the clippers have uh, have space for two max free agents and they're repeating that ad nauseum they don't you know they would have to do some maneuvering particularly with that gallo contract they'd have to trade gallo they'd have to trade gallo for space yeah there's yeah there's no way there's no way to do it without trading gallinari i have the clippers at about 55 55 with with gallinari at about 55. So that gives you space. Maybe if you're thinking, okay, well, if we go and get Kawhi for, you know, 32 or whatever, can we maybe keep Patrick Beverly and Jermichael green with that leftover 20? That's doable, but there's no way that you could fit two max guys into that 55 million. Um, In order to do that, 
you have to move Gallinari. It's the only way to get two max guys in the door. Yeah. Unless you, I mean, you, you could piece together that, but like, if you're like, well, if we trade Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell and Jerome Robinson, the rest of the team. <laughs> then that, yeah, like that makes up 18 million and you can keep Gallinari. But I mean, you would rather trade Gallinari than trade Lou and Trez. So yeah. Yeah. just from a depth perspective, it makes mo- most sense. And the guys that you're bringing in are probably going to be taking those Gallo minutes. So, yeah. One thing that I think will be interesting just before we finish or end or whatever is that um, there's, I think, from what I understand, there's probably a lot of trading around the draft this year. And um, I think that would be a little early to trade Gallinari, but um, it would not surprise me if the Clippers were confident about this and really thought they were getting two guys. They've heard good intel if you got yeah. me, like before the start of free agency. Yeah, a Gallo trade at the draft would get me – probably too hyped to control myself. <laughs> so that would probably signal you how confident the Clippers are, like like Rob's saying. But I think that's good to kind of give you numbers is if you think the Clippers maybe have like about 55 million left and, and Durant is going to be 38 or so and Kawhi will be 32, 33 or so, that gives you an idea of really the Clippers' general cap space this summer and the idea of getting both, getting one, what's left – and, uh, and everybody else's offers. I think there's a lot of confusion as far as it's mostly portrayed by the national media. They keep talking about how the Clippers can sign two free agents. There's going to be more than just they can just sign two uh, max free agents. They need to make moves, particularly with Gallo. So I think that's a good way to kind of think about it, especially when you think about Kawhi with respect to what the Clippers have and what the Clippers would have left, left over because um, I think that's really the more realistic of uh, of all three scenarios where either Kawhi only or KD only or both really it's probably Kawhi only and maybe the rest spread around maybe spread Gallo around to get Durant but there's been just too much about him going to New York City and and uh, we'll see um we'll see about Durant I don't know what's gonna happen with Kyrie if Kyrie goes to the Lakers if Kyrie goes to the Knicks but I think it's really like important. Kyrie goes to like Japan. You know? Japan. <laughs> he, he tries to prove that the Earth is flat by sailing <laughs> off like into the Pacific Ocean, um, like on a one-man sailing vessel. Um, very, very possible. That has a basketball yeah. court that he that he uh, that he provides live feeds for everybody of playing while while uh, while shifting off the edge of the Earth. Kyrie, he'd stay the same. Um, but yeah, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But I think. Most Clipper fans should probably just look at look at it with respect to possibly getting Kawhi, and if that doesn't happen, then that doesn't happen, you know. And then we'll have all this cap space for maybe, you know, bringing the the team back. We'll we'll see. I will say this though is um, again on that low Arnovitz pod. Um, neither one of them is like you know in Woj's class as a newsbreaker though. Low has yeah. sneakily broken a decent amount of news over the past few years. Um, I believe he mentioned that if the Clippers don't land Kawhi and he returns to the Raptors, that he thinks they might do some like pretty unexpected things um, this summer. So even if they don't get Kawhi or KD, I would not be shocked if there was some kind of big move. Um, not necessarily sure what it would be, um, but I would not rule it out um, entirely just because – I think they, they want to do stuff, and, you know, I don't think they're satisfied with the team they have. Um, but the last thing is what, you know, kind of what Lucas brought up with regards to the cap and, like, you know, if they have 55 and you can tell that, you know, KD and Kawhi, 
if the Clippers were fortunate to sign them, um, would take up a huge amount of the cap for a long time. And that's why it's so important to have these young guys who are in cheap deals for another, you know, three years and then somewhat cost controlled after that. Um, which is why a trade is so much worse because you're giving away those guys who are cheap and you can build around. Mm -hmm. And then you just have, it's basically lob city. I mean, you hope that the guys you just bring in are better. Um, and in the West, that's not as tough as it was, but like, that's why a trade for Anthony Davis, like as amazing as he is, like one of the ways they're so set up right now is that you have Kawhi and KD and you have like, two really good young rookies as well as Jerome who's shown some promise. And like you have those guys cheap for three years, which is huge. Like if Shea becomes a star level player by year three, which I would not rule out, like that's a massive advantage to have when you don't have to pay him yet. And if you trade all these guys away for Anthony Davis, like all of a sudden you're stuck with, you know, washed, washed up, like, you know, your Hito Turkoglu's and Danny Granger's and stuff, which we've seen that movie before. Um, which is, again, why the Clippers are so set up well and why, like, I'm very wary of a trade. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Um, did we have any other Twitter questions? Is that the, the gist of them? Oh, that was it. The Twitter is, like, completely dead right now. No NBA just sucked the life, at least out of my timeline. I'm sure there are other people's timelines that have nothing to do with the NBA, that there's stuff happening. Um, though it's also, you know, almost midnight on a Friday, which means people are either asleep or if they have a social life or, like, out. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes more sense. Okay. Well, Lucas, anything else you want to say to your adoring fans? Um, I would say, well, on the point Robert was making about Gallo um, and potentially a draft trade, I, this could be a draft where there's a lot of movement because it seems to be a draft that so many people don't like. Um, <laughs> and so a lot of those picks, I think even even in like the back half of the top 10 all through the teams are going to be super available for whatever exec just like really loves Cam Reddish and you know there there's got to be some at least one of the 30 NBA GMs has to be fooled into believing that Cam Reddish is going to be an all-star <laughs> and whoever that guy like normally like cam reddish right now is mocked to go eighth right like normally the eighth pick is not super available unless maybe you got like 10 you're going to trade like 10 in the future first to get up to eight right or like the clippers traded 12 and two future seconds to get to 11 to get shea last year um the eighth is not always super available but like this year probably 29 teams can put together a package that says that gets said yes to for eight. Um, if you're giving like a future first, that's going to have any sort of value that's going to get you there. So if the Clippers have a guy, like if, if Jerry West has a guy somewhere in the teens, then a Gallo trade could really happen, especially with a team like um, Indiana at 18 or Utah at 23, or even if, there's something like, you know, a three-team trade where Gallo goes to Indiana or Utah, which I think are like probably the two most likely landing spots for him. Um, and then any of these picks in the teams goes to the Clippers or something like that. It's all possible, but I would be really cautious about trading Gallo before free agency opens because 
first of all, like I just said, the draft is bad, right? So like trading Gallo to Utah for pick 23 is pretty unlikely to get you a player in this draft. Um, I mean, 23 is not a great pick in any draft, but this draft especially. But also because Gallo actually, I think, has a lot of value this summer because not only, as we just talked about with the All-NBA teams, did he have a great season, like an All-NBA fourth-team level season, but he's also this – free this free agent class, a lot of teams have cap space, and there's a handful of superstars, and then a lot of guys who are going to get deals where by November – we're going to be looking at cap sheets and going, dang, what were they thinking? Right? Like this is going to be like 2016 Evan Turner. Like there's <laughs> going to be deals like that given out this summer. Gallinari saves you from that. One year of Gallinari at 22 million is going to be better than the majority of contracts signed this, like the majority of big contracts signed this summer. So I mean, because Robert and I have talked about this. Obviously, Jimmy Butler is a better player than Gallinari. But four years from now, if you look back and say in the summer of 2019, you could have either gotten Gallinari for one year, 22, or Jimmy Butler for the four-year max. Unless you're a team that Jimmy Butler opens your championship window for the next couple of years, you're going to have preferred to have Gallo for one year than be stuck with Butler for those last couple of years of that contract. So I think he, he gives the Clippers a really big opportunity. Like, let's say they get Kawhi this summer and nobody else. Gallo can play the four next year. He's still really good. Your team is still going to be really good. And you can have a max slot again in the summer of 2020 yeah. to add that second guy next to Kawhi versus going and, and doing something, you know, maybe a little stupid with it this year. And if you move Gallo, there's not a lot of depth out there in free agency. So like, okay, maybe you can go after like a Paul Millsap to replace him, maybe like a Taj Gibson. But then now you're talking, well, are we going to get Paul Millsap if we're only offering one year deals so we can have that max slot again next summer? You're putting yourself in kind of a precarious situation. I think Gallo has a lot of value. I think, you know, last year, a year ago before he had the season he just had, we were worried about maybe if the Clippers would have to give a pick up to move his contract in order to open up that second max slot. Now I feel pretty confident that they will get a first round pick back in exchange for his expiring deal when they choose to move him. And I think that that holds true, whether they do it draft day or whether they wait until free agency, um, especially because his value could literally increase over the course of those two weeks because a team like Utah a team like Indiana, which are both playoff teams, they might want to try to get a meeting with someone who they like better than Gallinari, but then take Gallinari as their fallback. So they might be more incentivized to make a move for Gallo on July 3rd or July 4th or July 5th than they would be in the last week of June. Um, so I, I feel like, you know, again, if, if the Clippers make that trade, we can certainly speculate. If they make that trade on draft day, we can certainly speculate it's because they know that two guys are coming in July. Um, but generally speaking, I think unless you really do like Kawhi and Katie's agents have both told you they're signing on July 1st, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, but in a more ambiguous 
um, assuming that like those decisions haven't already been made, I think the Clippers would be wise to be a little more patient with Gallo. Yeah, I mean, that all makes sense. The only reason I would be excited if they did something is because I feel like they would have super confidence at, about possibly getting Durant and Kawhi or something along those lines, maybe even Thompson and Kawhi or something like that. But yeah, I, I think Gallo is definitely a positive, like a net positive, whereas last year he was probably a net negative at this point as far as his prospects for being switched or, or flipped. Okay, Rob, do we have anything else on Twitter? Uh, there actually are another couple questions because I was looking at just at my timeline and Lucas was actually the one who put out questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just retweeted them. So there actually are a couple. Um, so one from Mitchell Robles. Um, if we strike out on free agents this summer and run it back with basically the same team, what's our season's forecast looking like in the stacked West uh, you know, with healthy LeBron, AD plus Zion. I mean, AD's not going to be on the Pelicans. Uh, Kings making the leap. Um, it's impossible to tell. Like I, I couldn't even say, um, like what? Just because this free agency is going to be so important, and so much is still up in the air. Like I, I have no idea. Like it's, it's a cop out answer, um, but I would have no idea of how they place in the West. Um, you know, if you assume like linear development uh, for the young guys and like not too much fall off for the older guys, which I think is reasonable. Like they should end with like a full year of Zubots instead of Gortat and no Avery Bradley. Like it should probably win in the mid to high forties again, but like, honestly, who knows? And they were also really lucky with injuries this year. So yeah, I, I really can't. Yeah. It's mostly unreasonable to expect Gallo to be healthy like he was this year. And that's very important. I remember, I think we were saying back when that if Gallo played 60 plus games, the Clippers would make the playoffs and he did. And that was, almost an unrealistic expectation based on his history. Not unrealistic, but kind of uh, an optimistic look on uh, on his health. And he was really good this year. So um, if we just ran everything back, you know, I would, I would want to say that we'd still be a, a lower seed in the playoffs. But LeBron, I expect the Lakers to make the playoffs with whatever moves they make. I, I still can't count the Lakers out. And I don't really think the teams ahead of us – except for maybe the Spurs, which I say every freaking year, are going to regress uh, particularly. You know, I still think the Oklahoma City Thunder should make the playoffs. I still think, you know, I think the Jazz were kind of screwed by their bracket and are a better team than this, than uh, than they got as, uh, as far as their playoff success. And I think the top four seeds, you know, should all be pretty good, and Blazers included. So um, you would expect them to still pro- hopefully with some luck be a lower seed if they just ran everything back. So yeah, Lucas. Yeah. I mean, I think if they, if they run it back, right. Sure. They have a full season of no Avery Bradley, a full season of Zubats instead of Gortat, but like what do they also have a full season of like six two Patrick Beverly starting at small forward instead of Tobias Harris? Like, is it a full season of um, like I, I I don't know like the way that these guys like th- this run was almost magical that they had over the last couple months of the season after the trade deadline right like that's not something that you can assume linear progression for you look at like this that Fred Hoiberg um, or not Fred Hoiberg a uh, Jeff Hornacek Suns team that made the playoffs a few years ago like kind of similar like magic chemistry came out of nowhere to make the playoffs and like they did not 
have it again when they came back the next season. So I don't think we can assume that the Clippers would have it again. Um, and especially like Shap said, I don't see any of the teams ahead of them falling off immediately. Like San Antonio might be the weakest of those teams ahead of them. Um, I mean, I know we like, I don't think any of us are high on Oklahoma city, but I personally think that a team with Paul George and Russell Westbrook is not going to just flat out miss the playoffs. Um, San Antonio might be the weakest, but they're still going to have DeRozan and Aldridge and pop. So they're probably still going to make it. Um, and then the Lakers, a healthier LeBron, if they get some help in there for him, seems strong as well. So yeah, I think, I mean, I think if the Clippers fully run it back, we're probably looking again in, you know, October as them as an outside looking in team in the West. Um, and that's when I think, and I said this before this season started, I would definitely be saying it before next season started because of how well the Clippers veterans played this last year. It's really, really time if the Clippers strike out in free agency this summer to start thinking about moving these older guys and these veterans for picks, accepting that you're not going to be so good this year and getting a high draft pick. The Clippers now own their future first round picks because they made the playoffs and are going to give this 2019 pick to Boston. So you have your own future first round picks. You have young studs who you're already developing. You can get more future assets if you flip guys like Lou Williams and Danilo Gallinari. Like, if the Clippers land stars this summer, those guys are going to be huge, huge pieces of the supporting cast. But if they don't land stars, like, I don't, I'm not super eager to see them win like 38 games next year. <laughs> right. Anything else, Rob? I think there might have been some more. Uh, there's one question, probably specifically for Lucas. Uh, from Muskin, uh, how cool I am. Uh, if Lucas wants to answer that, he can. Yeah, Lucas, what's the answer? Uh, seven. <laughs> and then finally, uh, from at the dad presents, are Durant and Kawhi our top two targets? I feel like Kawhi and Clay would be a better pair for us. Uh, yeah, KD and Kawhi are the top two targets, and no, Clay is not a better pair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think Kevin Durant yeah, I mean... is better than Clay Thompson. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think there's an interesting conversation um, to be had here that, that we'll probably have more in depth on a later podcast as we're nearing the end of this episode about like positional needs. And this is something that Robert and I have talked about a lot with like, if the Clippers get Jimmy and Kawhi, do you still start like Shay, Shamet, Jimmy, Kawhi and go small for 82 games? Is that, is that feasible? Um, and so I think with regards to Clay and, I, for the record, am higher on Clay than, than Robert is, just generally speaking. But like, don't get me wrong, Clay Thompson is significantly better than Landry Shamet right now. But the Clippers already have Landry Shamet at like $2 million a year for each of the next three years and then restricted free agency. There's really no reason for them to go spend $30 million plus on an upgraded guy in the same mold. And it's definitely an upgrade. Like, I'm not saying it's a wash. Clay is better. But why would you spend, like, if you can have $30 million for Clay or $2 million for Landry and then $28 million to spend at power forward, you probably want Landry and the $28 million of power forward, right? Like that redundancy for them when you already have such a bargain at shooting guard 
that doesn't seem to me like the wisest way to spend your money. So I'm not a big fan of the Clippers targeting Clay this summer. Um, and I think there's no question that like Kawhi and Durant would be a thousand times better than Kawhi and Clay. Don't sign Jimmy Butler, please, Clippers. <laughs> please yeah. don't do it. Yeah, I mean, I think I would yeah. only, I would only accept Jimmy. Like, the the only way that I would think it would be really defensible is if the Clippers got either Kawhi or KD, and you're saying Jimmy's going to come be the number two, because then you're saying like our championship window is really open for the next couple of years, and Jimmy really helps. And I would, I would buy that. I think if you like, if, especially KD who like is, is only one year older than Kawhi, but somehow feels more than one year older and is more of a fit at the four. Like if you told me we're getting KD at the four and part of our pitch for KD coming is that we're going to come get Jimmy to play the three next to him for the next couple of years. Like that could really be two championships. Like, I would be okay with giving Jimmy that contract in that context. Yeah, I think I think we've mentioned that too in the past. I, I don't know how much Jimmy even thinks he's a number two, but yeah, that would that would be uh, that would be reasonable. Otherwise, I want no part of a Max Jimmy Butler contract. And uh, I think that'll do it for this episode. Anything else you guys want to say, Rob? Or no, I completely agree on the play. I mean, KD is just much better. Yeah, same thing, and it's the reason why, even though. Brad Beal is probably like one of my five ish most, you know, like just watching him play is one of my five favorite players to watch play. And he's, I thought he was all NBA 13 level this year. It really doesn't make sense for the Clippers to drink him um, because they have Shamit and like Beal is much, much better than Shamit. It's probably better than Shamit will ever be, but like you have him cheap for three years and you probably have to give him up in the deal. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, so yeah, same thing. For Clay, except I mean, for Beal, you'd even have to give away assets for him. But um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what the summer brings. And I guess there's a a, a, a could be pivotal, 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 pivotal Kawhi game tomorrow, uh, which I'm sure we'll all be watching. And uh, oh, I'll be watching. Yeah, it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna be. Uh, I uh, I am trying my best, Kawhi, for you to come to the, just just accept it. Your body wants to come to the Clippers. Just come, Kawhi, please. I, I know I know it's hard. Um, Lucas, anything else you want to say? Nope, that's it for me. I'm all good. <laughs> all right, all right, everyone. So from, uh, I think it's like 3 a.m. in New York City, 2 a.m. in Iowa, and, uh, and midnight over in California, I think we'll be uh, signing off for you guys. We'll be watching tomorrow. Of course, give us a good review on whatever you listen to us on. And as always, go Clippers!